But what happened was when I quit in early March of 2020, so right before COVID became a thing, literally two or three weeks after I leave my job, my wife, she gets a phone call on April 1st from her employer saying, unfortunately, we have, we have to downsize a little bit because COVID's really hit us hard oh, and uh, we're going to have to let you go. Oh, so, wow. Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through real estate. We'll be discussing the most important lessons or better known as the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance with new and experienced investors to help you get into real estate investing or scale up your portfolio. So make sure to tune in. What's going on, everyone? It's Ross Nadai. I'm a real estate agent, an investor, and host of the Real Estate Golden Nuggets podcast. I have an amazing episode full of golden nuggets for you. If you like this podcast and gotten any value out of it, please share this far and wide to reach as many people as possible. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so that you can stay up to date on the most recent episodes. Thank you so much for your support. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing podcast. I'm your host, Ross, and today I'm joined by my special guest, Scott Zan Bergen, who is a real estate investor um, who was primarily investing in the Niagara region, and now he has moved on to Belleville primarily right now, but it doesn't stop him there. He's looking for the biggest uh, opportunities out there in the market, and, and he's taking advantage of it, which I absolutely love and I would want to explore today. So without further ado, please, Scott, tell us a little bit about your journey and uh, what are you up to so far? First of all, thanks for having me on, Ross. I think it's uh, awesome that you've got a podcast now. I'm excited to be uh, one of the, what, first 10 or so guests. Um, so congrats on that. So for me, um, yeah, so I've been uh, an investor since 2014. So not that long. I guess it's been about seven years now that I've been, uh, you know, buying real estate and setting up rental properties. And, you know, I, uh, let's see, I, so I started in 2014 as more of a casual investor, just looking for a place to park my, my own money to, to, you know, see some better growth. And I was seeing when I had my money parked in, you know, stocks and mutual funds and things like that. <clears throat> so I, I bought some single family homes and rented them out and kind of just let them sit and didn't manage them too actively, didn't really think too much about it. Um, except when a few years had gone by and I, and I started to see the value of those properties really start to take off, uh, keeping in mind that th there was really no cash flow for the time that I owned those properties. The, the rent payments basically covered the the cost of ownership of the property. So the tax, the, the mortgage, the tax and the insurance. Um, so not, not really a lot of buffer at the end of the day, but boy, oh boy, after a few years, equity growth was, was incredible. And, um, and then when the mortgages came up for renewal at, the, at about the five year mark, right. um, that's when, you know, you're kind of faced with the decision of, should I renew these or should I just like take my chips off the table here? Right. So sold them. And, uh, and I'm glad I did because, you know, there was, the market was, was booming then that was around 20, I guess I sold my, sold my first one around 2017, 2018. I can't remember anymore. Um, and 
And then what, but kind of before the, all that happened, just before I started selling, I, I, I started looking into other investment strategies. You know, my, my interest continued to evolve in real estate, right. even though I, those first few, I just kind of like didn't do a lot with, but you know, I, I started poking around more, sort of going to more real estate networking events, meeting more people and started hearing more people talking about converting, you know, single families to duplexes. And so so I decided I wanted to start doing that too. So I, I started dabbling in that a little bit. And that was right around the same time when those other properties were coming up for mortgage renewal and then uh, and then sold them and then redeployed that capital right. into, into doing some duplexing. And so, yeah. And after that, I was, I was just kind of hooked, right? Once I saw what you could do with, um, with taking a single family property, turning it into two units and essentially doubling your cash flow, right. uh, mitigating your risk. I was hooked right away. Right. And so once I did a couple of those, I was like, I'm doing, all, this is what I'm going to do for now. Right. And so I've been on that track now since, uh, about, um, I always forget now, I think my first duplex conversion was late 2017. Um, and, um, and I've done several of them since then. And I'm doing, I'm doing more as we speak because I just, I, I continue to believe that it's a good model. Um, yeah. Like like I said, it mitigates risk. You get good cash flow. If you're as long as you're in good markets, you can attract decent tenants. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just it's a good strategy. And it got me to the point where I was able to replace a significant portion of my income, my day job income, with with cash flow. Um, and uh, and got to the point where I I basically retired from my job at, in uh, early 2020. So. Yeah, and that's phenomenal. And and by the way, so your your investments when you started journey was it primarily in in Niagara and the Welland region? So when I started back in 2014, no, I was actually investing on the east side of Toronto. I was way out in Bowmanville, so uh, that's east of Oshawa, right? So right, right. That's where that's where I had some single family homes, uh, and and I only started there because at the time I was living uh, just east of downtown Toronto, and. Right. When I decided I wanted to start doing some real estate investing, this is I was I was doing my research phase in 2013. I just started like kind of casting up casting the net, like where should I look, right? And clearly, it didn't make sense for me to buy something in Toronto proper. Um, so I started going a little further out, sort of looking in Oshawa, sort of looking in Whitby, and then got to push it out further and further, and then eventually landed on Bowmanville. Now like just for to understand the numbers like I, I think the first couple of properties i bought in bowmanville were about three hundred and ten thousand each right. uh, for uh you know just a, a detached three uh three bedroom house two bathroom house kind of thing three hundred thousand bucks um but it was renting at the time for about 1800 right so wow. Yeah. So that like for the whole house, right? So that's why you can see by the time you put your mortgage and, and the mortgage rates um, a few years ago were what, maybe three and a half percent, something like right. that we were paying. So the mortgage rates or mortgages were a little bit higher. So the point is there wasn't a lot of cash flow, but at the time I wasn't solving for cash flow at all. Right. I just bought those houses as a way to, I wanted to, I wanted to put my money in a safe place. Right. And I was really right. attracted to the physical asset, the bricks and mortar, a chunk of land, um, and it was more of a more of a buy and hold strategy. So, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I didn't even know Bowmanville until maybe two years ago. <laughs> I never heard of it. <laughs> I was like, where is that? <laughs> nice, uh, nice little bedroom community. It, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, it, it has boomed in, oh, the, in the last time. even couple of years. I mean, yeah. if I would have held those uh, those single family homes two or three more years, like 
they probably got, had gone up another 200,000 a pop, I think. For sure. Um, just, For just sure. crazy. Yeah. Crazy. But it, it's, it's a good little, little bedroom community. The, uh, the, you know, the, the 407 extension yeah. really helped raise the values. They have, uh, there's a new go train station that was opening up in the area. So right. there were, those are the, a lot of the fundamentals were strong, which is why I was initially attracted to that market. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, uh, what happened with my personal situation is that I changed jobs in 2015. And, uh, so I, when I changed jobs, I started working in Mississauga and it, it was only a matter of time before I realized the commute from downtown Toronto to Mississauga was starting to suck. So <laughs> I convinced my family, we should move closer to Mississauga somewhere. So we, we actually landed in Georgetown. Um, and so living in Georgetown, uh, starting, starting this new job, I was kind of focused on the new job for a while. So took right. my eye off of the real estate investing scene for a little bit as I was kind of getting hunkered down to my new job and getting settled in there. Um, but within a year or so, I started kind of like coming up for air and having a look around, like, where should I start investing again? And got involved in some of the local meetup groups out in on the west side of the city. So Hamilton, uh, like the Wright Club and um, right. Greater Hamilton REI meetup group. There was a couple others. And and then it just became kind of, um, uh, you know, an obvious thing that I needed to start investing in Hamilton, right? Because like Georgetown, Hamilton's 45 minutes or whatever. So I started looking there and did a couple investments in Hamilton. And then I just kind of from there, I started to spill out into the Niagara region um, and um, and then really, really uh, focused there for a couple of years as well. So, yeah. So so basically, if, uh, just to recap what you said, so was your main criteria when you're looking at these, like, you know, uh, off or I should say outside of GTA, what was the main reason you were looking at those specific regions? Was it the, what attracted you? Was it the cash flow? Was it, um, you know, you, you saw the market fundamentals like, you know, near university or go train, like you mentioned, uh, Womanville, for example, had that, right? What, what were some of the fundamentals mm-hmm. you were looking for? Uh, well, certainly, certainly when I, my, when my mindset started to shift to becoming way more active and trying to grow my portfolio. Mm-hmm. Like I, I certainly at that point was thinking about cash flow, right? So then I started right. to kind of set objectives for myself around I, I do want to start replacing my my day job income with real estate investing cash flow. Right. So that pushed me into markets where I knew I could I could make decent cash flow. Uh, but I wasn't going out so so far, you know, because I, I mean obviously the smaller the market, you can usually do okay with cash flow because the property values are a bit lower. And, you know, as long as the rents are still decent, you can make some decent cash flow. Right. Um, I was, I was trying to strike a balance. Like I, that's why I, I liked Hamilton a lot because Hamilton is, you know, very much part of the GTA or the GTHA or whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Hamilton was uh, lots of obviously strong fundamentals, good jobs, um, you know, not too hard to find really good tenants in, in Hamilton. Uh, so, but when I kind of, when I started going beyond Hamilton, I still remember I was working with a realtor who, you know, helped me buy, um, I think two right off the bat in Hamilton. And then we were looking for another one. And then she said, well, why don't you come out to St. Catharines? So I went out on a, on a Saturday to St. Catharines, looked at two or three properties and one of them I was pretty interested in and was going to make an offer. Uh, but uh, on that trip to St. Catharines, she would, you know, we, we showed up and did, walked through a couple properties. She said, Oh, there's, there's one more I want you to see. And it's in Welland. So I'm like, Oh, pff, yeah, where's Welland. Right. So we're already <laughs> out way, way out in St. Catharines here. I drove like whatever, 30 minutes from Hamilton to get to yeah. St. Catharines. 
And she's like, it's like another 20 minutes down the 406. Right. I'm like, okay, well, let's go to Welland. So we go to Welland and we go into this nice neighborhood in uh, uh, the neighborhood's called Chippewa Park. And um, just fell in love with this property, right? It was a nice 1961 or so uh, all brick bungalow. And it was about 1400 square feet on the main level. It had a nice uh, um, addition on the back, which is how it got to about 1400 feet. Cause a lot of the bungalows are 1100, but this had a nice addition on the back, um, which was kind of set up as a separate family room in a way. Right. Right. But uh, so saw that the main floor was pretty nice. Um, and then we went in the basement of this place and the basement was untouched, like just perfection. And the ceilings were high, right? Like the ceilings must've been, I don't know, almost eight feet. There were seven and a half feet or something wow. like that. So, which is, and it was untouched, right? So it's yeah. always amazing when you walk into a, into a new house and the basement's untouched. And, you know, you think about this, this house has been sitting around for what, 60 years. It's been lived in and <laughs> no one ever, ever finished the basement. Right. It's just, it was you could see the floor joists, you could see all the walls exposed. So, which is great because then, you know, if there's any water damage, if there's any mold, like nothing's hiding behind the walls, you see yeah. everything, but most yeah. importantly, you see the ceiling height, right? You see where the posts are right. and you know, is this going to work for, for a suite? Anyways. Okay, what was the price for that? I think, I think it was 349. 349. Uh, yeah, it was 349 the day before we were there on a Saturday, hit the, hit the market on the Friday. We were there one day after it hit the market. So on the, so anyways, I, I loved it. Like it had a, a deep lot, like 125 deep or something like that. It's about yeah. a 50 wide, 50, 50, maybe even 60 foot wide lot. So on the drive home, uh, call up the realtor. And I'm like, I think this is, I think this is a good one. It's going to, it, it checks the boxes. Right. Um, I don't know much about Welland. So I'm taking your advice on this. Yeah. If you think Welland's a decent market, I'm willing to roll the dice. Um, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to own a house in Welland big deal, right? I can always <laughs> sell it. So um, we put an offer in while we were driving. We agreed, let's let's just throw an offer in at 345. Um, and we'll, we'll make it, uh, this is back when you could put conditions on your offers. Uh, this is <laughs> probably in 20, this is probably 2018. So we did a home inspection condition. No, I don't, I can't remember if I did a financing one or not. I don't think so. I think I did probably just not, a home no. inspection <laughs> condition. Yeah. Um, and so that was probably one of the last houses, by the way, that I did a home inspection on. But anyways, did a home inspection condition that it, it passed with flying colors. But what I did is that at the, at the home inspection, like a few days later, um, I, I, I had the home, home inspector meet me there, but I also had the contractor meet me there. And that's when I had nice. the contractor walk through with me and just, you know, yes, we, this is going to be great for a suite has a nice, you know, site or backdoor entrance. Um, ceiling heights are great. Uh, yes, we're gonna have to do some work on the electrical, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, within a couple hours, I had a quote on what it was going to cost to do a suite and all that. Right. Um, anyway, so that, so we just did it and um, ha had that place up and running in about four or five months, uh, completely done, rented. And, and then, uh, and then I just started looking for more. <laughs> so, yeah. so I bought like, I bought like five more and, and like over the course of the next, uh, I don't know, nine, 12 months, something like that. Um, wow. all in, all in the same kind of pocket, all in that same neighborhood for the most part. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that turned out to be like a gold mine then for you, you, you saw the return on it and you started implementing and getting more on, on the same region. So it was a good deal. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, and I guess, 
you know, you know how it is, right? You start to the more time you start to spend in a in a market in a neighborhood, you start to you start to know the streets a little bit. That's right. Uh, you start to you start to get a feel for the property values because at first you're kind of like, is this? I don't know if this is worth three fifty. I have no idea what's what's comparable, right? Realtor right. shows you some stuff. You're like, all right, I guess. Um, but then the more you the more research you start doing yourself, you feel your your, your confidence starts to go up, right? For and sure. then like the next the next several I bought I bought sight unseen. By the way, the realtor. The realtor called me up from, um, you know, a property similar to the one we bought. Maybe she'll FaceTime me or something like that and say, hey, this would hit the market. This is it's very similar to the one you just bought. Uh, What do you think? I'm like, do it up, write up an offer. Right. (laughs) Um, And and so we we managed to get a few done that way. And so it was just like at that point, it was just like, let's follow the formula. Right. It it was working. Yeah, um, I was I was in, in the meantime, I was learning how best to attract tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, the Welland market was definitely different than the Hamilton market for, yeah. for finding tenants. But it just took a little bit more patience, a little bit more screening. And I and I was finding um, I was finding tenants that were that were great. And, and it was working out just fine. Yeah. Awesome. So, so yeah, you, let's touch upon a little bit of, uh, about, you know, how you're able to do the renovation. So I know uh especially when you're doing conversion, you have to go through the city, right? So can you just walk us through what does that typically look like? You know, you obviously need a contractor, but there's permits, drawings, and all sorts of other uh, areas that need to also focus on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first thing, the first thing that we do is, um, so, so when we go into the property, generally, I like to have my contractor come with me when I'm when I'm uh, looking at a property, if I can, if I can have the contractor with me when I'm going to make an offer, that's, that's the best scenario, right? Right, right, right. My contractor, my contractor is kind of like the home inspection for me, right? Like, let's just like, look at this together. Let's check, let's check out some of the fundamentals or the mechanicals in good shape. So once we kind of get once we are at the point where we know that, okay, this is going to be a good property, we get the offer done, uh, we get it accepted. The next thing that I'm trying to do is let's say we close in 30 days. Okay. So obviously now I'm scrambling to get, make sure I got my financing figured out and I can mm-hmm. close on this thing. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you know, you always get like, what is it, like three walkthroughs or something like that. You write into your offer, yep. right? So you can have walk walkthroughs prior to closing. So I always try to use one or two of those walkthroughs to, to plan out the next steps. Right. So that's when I'll bring in the designer. So you know, like a BCIN designer right. comes in with us and takes all the measurements you know we get their opinion on you know, what's how best can we lay this place out i, w- I want to get three bedrooms in the basement um you know and so you know within i want to say a couple weeks of having that initial consult with the with the designer when they get their measurements then we start getting some floor plans coming mm-hmm. out and we kind of iterate based on what we see, what we like, what we don't like the size of the bathroom. Let's try this. Let's put the bedroom there, whatever, right? We see two or three options. And then we, ideally, if you've got the time for it, you try to get your, you try to get that submitted into the city before your closing date so that you can get your permits right around when the property closes. Um, So we have, I think maybe twice, we actually were successful with that timing where Mm -hmm. on closing date, permits were ready. The only thing that was required uh, from the city was we had to give them the final title report from the lawyer to the city to show that, yes, this property is now in my name. So therefore, they could actually issue the permit. Right, right. Um, but it was w- within it within one day or so of closing, permits in hand, demolitions beginning, right? So off to the races. And um, and then, you know, we have contractors in there. They're, they've already got all the floor plans ready to go. We've got our permit. 
and we're just banging out walls and starting, right? So um, that, like when it happens that way, it's perfection. That's when like the, <laughs> yeah. the, I was the, say, the ducks are, it, it, it doesn't always happen this way. I can tell yeah. you lots of examples that, that haven't happened that way, but, but we did have a few like that. They were just like, it was just perfection, right? Yeah. And uh, I think the fastest we got it turned around was probably maybe just over three months, maybe just under, somewhere between three and four months, let's say. Um, right that we had uh the unit completely done ready ready to rent uh that would have been one of the one of the more straightforward projects where we didn't really do much to the upper level the upper level was kind of turnkey yeah. we focused mostly on building out the basement um and uh get the occupancy permit at the end of the process i i generally start advertising to show it to tenants while the renovation's going on I mean, the contractors always hate that because I'm 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 there walking through with tenants and they're like you know blaring their music <laughs> and hanging drywall and I'm I'm sh I'm actually showing it to tenants and I'm you know setting their expectation I'm going to show right. you this place it's not ready yet but there's going to be a lot of demand for it so I'm giving you a shot at this now and in some cases it's it's down to the wire right like we got the contractors finishing up doing the final um, finishing touches on the property I got a cleaner coming in ducts are being cleaned and tenants are moving in like that afternoon kind of thing. Wow. So, so sometimes it was just so tightly coordinated where it just like just worked amazingly well, but it's not always like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the utopian state. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. So, so the permits that did you do take and, and you, uh, what does that roughly cost? I mean, first of all, you mentioned when you get these properties, did you go for the ones that already had like a walkout basement door or did you create the basement door? Okay. I know that's a big cost usually there. Um, and then secondly, I, I know once you pass inspection and everything, what are we, generally speaking, let's just assume obviously labor costs and everything has gone up off the roof, but when you were doing these properties uh, conversions, what were you looking at in terms of a conversion, in terms of pricing? How much did it cost you to do that? Yep. So to start with on the, um, on the designs and permits. So in the city of Welland, the permits are not that expensive. I'm trying to remember now. It's under a thousand bucks, maybe 900, 800 bucks, something like that to get the right. permit. The designer, depending on the BCIN designers are, you know, so the lowest I paid was maybe $2,200 mm -hmm. to get um, the, the whole set of drawings done. The most I paid was probably $3,600. Okay. So it all, it all just depends on uh, the experience level um, and how good they are, right? So yeah. there are some designers I worked with multiple times and do great work. Others that do maybe didn't do as great work. Um, but anyways, that's that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah. But so budget, like you know, let's say three thousand dollars in that range, right? For your for right. your drawings, maybe another thousand for permits. Um, the actual project itself, it, it can it can range a quite a, quite a uh, bit because it depends on how much you are going to do now. Right. Um, I mean, you can go the simplistic route. You can you can buy a property and you know slam in a a bedroom in the basement or two two bedrooms in the basement. You know, a lot of times you'll buy a property and the and it's already got a ceiling in the basement, like it's already drywalled. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's an old kitchen that's already there, so you can kind of like retool things a little bit and try to you know salvage what's there and right. and do it on a shoestring budget. Um. I haven't done any like that though. So mine have all been every single one of my duplex conversions has been a full gut to the studs in the basement. Okay. So, um, not upstairs, we're just talking the basement, right? Yeah. So we rip out what's there. Now, sometimes we, like I said earlier, 
Sometimes we've been lucky. We've bought a house that is completely empty in the basement already. That's super easy. No demo cost then. Yep. Other times it's a fully finished basement, ceilings in, you know, there's rooms, whatever. There's a bathroom. We tend to rip it all out. Now the bathroom is already plumbed. That's good. And hopefully we can use that same spot for the bathroom. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, I really, I really want to do it right. Like I'm trying to create a premium product um, yeah. that is uh that is a brand new modern apartment down there, right? So it's a three bedroom, you know, nice size windows. Um, it's safe. We do egress windows. There's interconnected smoke detectors. Yep. There's all the fire separation. So we do all the stuff the right way. But most importantly, I really care about like what what's a tenant going to think when they first walk through as or a prospect, I should say, when they first walk through. Yeah. Um, like it's going to be a brand new kitchen. We're going to have nice pot lights. We're going to have stainless steel appliances. We're going to have stackable full-size laundry and a nice little closet. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked uh, a prospect tenant through and they're just like, this is the best place I've seen, right? Because they're, they're you have to realize that you're competing a lot of times with people that have, um, you know, crappy in-law suites that they try to, you know, do use a shoestring budget and get it by, um, or you're competing with somebody, um, maybe maybe you're competing with somebody that's looking at a, a two bedroom apartment in a building, like they're in an aplex or something, right? That's right, that's right. And and so they're coming out of that environment and they're like sick of standing waiting for the elevator and it's tight and all that stuff, right? <laughs> um, and dingy hallways. And they see this and they're like, okay, so it's a basement, but you know when I when I come out of the basement, I come up one flight of stairs. I'm in, I'm on, I'm on, you know, the driveway or I'm in the backyard, right? There's green space. My car's right there. I don't have to like yep. walk for five minutes down hallways and bump into people I don't want to talk to and all that stuff. Right. Right. Um, so, so people are just like, they love it. Like they, they really love the product that we're, that we're creating. We're not doing high end finishes. We're yeah. doing like, you know, simple, a mid grade Ikea kitchen, for example, we're doing, you know, fairly, fairly modest stainless steel appliances, um, vinyl plank flooring, um, laminate countertop. So we're not doing quartz right? Um, for now, maybe eventually we will, but it looks, everything looks good. Everything looks new. It's freshly painted. The trim is nice. The doors are not, everything works, right? Yeah. yeah. But people really like that. Um, and so, yeah. So that, so in terms, so kind of getting back to, I guess this is a long winded way of getting to the numbers. Um, I would say the least I have paid, mm-hmm. the least I paid for a basement conversion was 75 grand. That was in 2017 though. Right. Uh, in, in 2018, 2019, I paid between 90 K and I think the most I paid was about 140. Wow. Um, and that, but but it depends on, so when I was at the 140 range, that's when there's a few extra things in there that you're now looking at. By the way, that's inclusive of HST and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so at, at the upper end, you're now talking about, um, you know, your need to do some work to the main floor, for example. Mm-hmm. So, because the main floor sometimes has, you know, the 1968 grandma kitchen in it and it's got to go, right? <laughs> so we rip that out at the same time. And it's got a bathtub that's blue and a toilet that's pink and like yeah. stuff like that. It's just ugly, ugly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so if we're going to have the contractors there doing the basement, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend the extra 25K or whatever it's going to take to do the main floor at the same time. Um, 
Yep. I would say half the time, half of the time on the main floor, we redo the floors. So we, you know, if you, if you're walking over those floors and it's all that original, uh, like hardwood, like Oak flooring, mm-hmm. uh, and it's squeaky, um, and it's maybe it's a little bit beat up. What we will g- generally try to do in those cases is put a, put about a thousand screws on the floor to tighten up the squeaks as best we can. Right. Um, and then put vinyl plank right over top. Right. So now it's got a nice new vinyl floor. Yeah. Um, we, we, at the same time, we're usually putting some pot lights into the main living areas of the, of the main floor, uh, to really brighten it up. New kitchen. Sometimes we just paint the kitchen depending on what the quality of the cabinets are like. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it's, it's all, it's all those extra things that starts to make that budget creep up. Right. Yeah. Not uncommon, not uncommon to get to that range. And then you're like, Oh, I forgot about the driveway. Right. And the driveway is not wide enough. There's another three grand to widen the driveway or whatever, right? There's just something, yeah, little something things like up. that come along. Correct. Yeah. So don't like, don't be shocked when you when you have to kind of budget those kinds of numbers to, to yeah. do a really nice job. I would say. Right. I know other investors that regularly say, "No, I'm in the I'm in the 180 range now for uh, for a proper duplex conversion." I've never been uh, up to that high. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I can see why you would be because. Especially you know, if you got to do furnace and AC, well, there's another 5k gone, right? Sometimes yeah. you got to run all new duct work, right? That's two or three grand, like, right? It, it can add up, it can add up. So yeah, another thing I was going to say is, is the, the electrical, right? I'm sure when you do, do the conversions, you want to put a separate meters in there, right? Um, so that, that's another cost that a lot of people don't really consider. And you would want to do yeah. it if you're going to go through all that hassle, might as well separate it. So you can have plus utilities included in your monthly. And I love that you're, yeah. you, you are going kind of like, you know, let's, not the ultimate luxury life, but you're going for those, you're targeting the right tenants, right? So you're back to your point, what you're saying is when you produce a good product, you're generally going to attract the right tenant profile, right? It goes like anything. If, yeah. <laughs> if, if the quality of the finish is not great, there's no way someone's going to pay you know, a premium price for that, for that, for that uh, place. So that's been, that's right. it sounds like that's, that's right. been working really well for you there, right? Yeah. And, and not being afraid to charge the premium level rent, right? I yeah. mean, yeah, you can, you'll get, uh, you'll get the haters for sure. Yeah. Um, that's, that think you're trying to gouge and, you know, you're the problem with society today, you scum <laughs> landlords, you get, you get that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, you have to have a bit of a thick skin for that. I, I actually, I know, um, when you post your ads and I generally put mine on marketplace and all that, right. I stopped, I stopped putting my ads in the Facebook groups. Cause you know, you can, when you put your ad on marketplace, you can also say share it to that's these right. three or four like Welland's got its own like buy and sell. There's probably like six or seven of them. Yeah. I did that a few times, but but man, the comments, people are just like bashing you. I'm like, it's not worth my time, man. So I just <laughs> stopped doing that. I just stopped putting them in those groups and just put it on Marketplace. I get plenty of leads uh, yeah. off there. And and I'm not afraid to charge a premium rent. Um, and I always do plus all utilities. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so as people apply... They know what they're getting in for. They know it must be a nice place if I'm charging a, a, uh, some, a little bit more than maybe the average place might be worth uh, in yeah. town. Yeah. And um, so that's the kind of tenant I'm, I'm looking for anyways, right? That, uh, that might maybe wants to spend a little bit more and feel proud of the place that they live in so they treat it like their own, right? Now, what are the kind of the key yeah. metrics you look for that kind of pushes you to get those premium pricing? So you mentioned laundry so is always- one of them, right? Always, always separate laundry uh, yeah. in each unit. Um, we always separate hydro. Um, so electrical. So each unit has its own electrical panel. They have their own mm-hmm. meter. So they put the hydro in their own name. They pay it for their own usage. Um, 
I don't separate the other stuff like gas and water. Yep. Um, that's, that's a little more difficult. Not many people do that. Once in a while, you'll see an investor that's doing that now. Um, I haven't, I mean, I, I'd like to try that sometime because uh, if you can separate the, like the HVAC system, like the, the heating and cooling systems, mm -hmm. I mean, then you'd reduce a big source of noise transfer between units with getting rid of the ducts between that are connected between the floors. That's right. Um, that's, that's always split. Actually. I, I know some investors now are splitting the, the yards a little bit, which I think is a cool idea. I have not done that yet. I, I might do that though. Uh, so that you can give uh, each tenant like a private section of the backyard. So run a separate fence right down the center right. or something like that. Right. So maybe I'll do that at some point. So far, I haven't. I just, for me, I always just set the expectation up front that uh, um, the, the the common area outside the home, like the driveway, the front yard, the backyard, that's shared space. So that's you'll right. kind of, you're going to share that with your upstairs neighbor, your downstairs neighbor. So be respectful. Um, and uh, and it works. It works. So. Yeah. And then for the water and and uh, gas, I guess. Do you do you charge those also? How do you separate that, or how do you split that between the levels, or is that something that uh, is covered by you? So no, I don't pay for it. Well, I, I should. So I keep it in my name, so I right. do pay for it directly. That's right. But I split it back to the tenant. So the main floor gets sixty percent of the cost of that. The lower floor gets forty percent of the cost. Right, right. Um, and uh, that seems to be a fair way. And I, what, what I actually have tended to do is originally I started, I would get those bills right, and then I would, I would then go back to the tenants, and every month I would have to like charge them right 60 percent of hey the total for the month for the gas and the water was 280 bucks or whatever so you yeah. owe me this much you owe me that much that that's that didn't make sense to me eventually because it's a lot of work yeah. so what i've done what i've done now is the last couple of years i just put this on autopilot where i just um i just always set my tenants expectation when they're moving in that for the whole house i estimate that um the 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 cost of the gas and the water is probably going to be about $260. Okay. So that's the number I generally use for, for the city of Welland because I have got some data now to back me up that I've right. like the track record. Yep. And so what, what I will then say to the upstairs tenant is you're going to pay me 60% um, of that every month. Mm -hmm. So a hundred, I think that works out to 155 or something like that bucks that right. they, that they put on to their, um, they add to their rent each and every month. Okay. And the downstairs pays like a hundred bucks on top of their rent. Right. So in the, in the tenant's mind, their rent now is actually the cost of the rent plus that little utility component. They just like, they just send it to me together at one time, right? right. That's now the cost of the rent, right. but, but it is separate um, per the lease. And that to me is important because if I do need to adjust, like if they're using way more water than they should be, Right. Well, then I can quite easily go back to them and say, we need to, I need to reconcile that utility component that you're paying me. Mm -hmm. And we're going to up that now instead of $100 a month extra on your rent, it's going to be $130 a month or something like that. Right. 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 Um, so far, I haven't had to. And so far, my estimates have been pretty close. Right. So yeah. I do it as a, I, I do a rolling average. I look at it 12 months. Yep. And every few months, I, I do reconcile. So I look at, okay, what's the, uh, what are the actual bills coming in at? Yep. What am I collecting from the tenants for the utilities? I'm within like 10, 20, 30 bucks. Um, it's a wash at that point, right? I don't, I don't worry yeah. too much about it. Yeah. Um, and the tenant, they, I often just explain it to them as like, this is equal billing, right? I'm just going to charge you an equal amount every month. You pay your own hydro, but gas and water, 
you're going to pay it to me. It's going to be this much. I'm going to reconcile it. I always set the expectations that yeah. if, if you're using more or if you're using less, I'm going to adjust that amount for you. So, yeah. and it works. No, that's awesome. That's, that's great to know. Cause that was, uh, you know, a couple of things that I was wondering as well, because you can't necessarily, it's hard to <laughs> separate the water, especially if, you know, from the city, you can, right. It's, it's, I mean, you could, but it's too much cost to even yeah, you know, you, bother you with can, it. You can do uh you can do a separate meter, I think in the house for water. People are starting to do that. I've never looked into the cost yeah. to do it. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I, I it, it's, it's, it's easy to do it this way, right? It works this way. It I know a lot of sense. investors, a lot of investors set their rents to be inclusive of gas and water. Yeah. So they go, they're a little bit higher on the price of the rent. And then they just say, you know, here the, 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 the cost of this rental is $1,500 a month plus hydro. Um, right. So I tend to, I tend to set my price uh, sometimes a little lower, but I say it's plus all utilities. Right, so right, that right. They, they know they're going to pay for everything. Yeah. And I like that. And the reason why I'm, I'm agree with you on, on that, Scott, is because, then you stop people from going crazy and, and turning the AC a full blast in summer days or, you know, uh, washing the car in the driveway because they're like, oh, it's all inclusive. I can just spend as much as I want yeah, and use as much as I exactly. want, right? And I've, heard, I've exactly. heard a lot of horror stories where now they're kind of accountable. So they're going to think twice, oh, wait, hold on. Maybe, you know, I should just use it to a reasonable amount and not go overspill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I've heard the horror stories of... Um, uh, some neighbor needs their pool filled. So they, they just run a hose from my house, uh, hose over to the neighbor's pool and they run the tap for three days to fill up a swimming pool. There you go. Because hey, it's all inclusive water. Why not? So <laughs> no, I don't, I don't like that either. <laughs> same, same thing with laundry. Yeah, I, I've seen, I've heard stories where like, you know, friends of friends bring, you know, they, they dump all the laundry, bring it all in the, uh, the friend's house and they do everything there because they're like, oh yeah, yeah it's just gas or sorry, it's just hydro. Pay me to their friends. Yeah, water's included. I don't really care. So you got to run into those issues as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You got, you got, you do have to stay on top of it, right? So you yeah. want to look for, you want to look for the inconsistency. So you know, most most investors have a spreadsheet and they just kind of plug in the numbers as the bills come in, and and then if something looks like it's skewing in the wrong direction or even the right direction, yeah, like they're using less than usual, well, that, that's a good thing. But you want to know that, right? You want to be yeah. always aware of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So talk to me a little bit about it. What, what's your portfolio look like currently, Scott? I know you had a bunch of you sold, but how many are you holding currently? I'm not, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not one of these guys that has uh, 68 units or something like that. I don't have all that many. I'm right now holding about 10 properties, maybe, maybe a little more because I have several that I'm working on that are flipped, being flipped. So I'm not sure we count flips, <laughs> but I, uh, the rentals, I have about 20 doors right now. Um, okay. And I did sell a couple yeah. um, over the last year. So I've got about 20 doors right now um, okay. and um, adding adding more though. So I just uh, I just bought a off market um, in Belleville right. um, that I'm taking on. And so, um, yeah, always, always kind of looking to do more, right? And so what I did through the last um, several months is I did a little bit of a portfolio cleanup too, right? So I had, mm. I got rid of, one of my rentals uh, was the only one I had in my portfolio that was not legal. So I had one uh, duplex with um, a family living upstairs and then three students living downstairs that were paying by the room. Okay. So that was a property I bought as a, I don't know, I bought it on a bit of a whim, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, it was in Hamilton, really nice house, but um, it just didn't fit my model. And I, and I, I, I struggled looking for ways to, uh, to 
to optimize it, to legalize it. And I just couldn't make the math work on it. So I just, right. I just opted during this, uh, during this crazy seller's market we've been in to, uh, to unload it. And so I did. <laughs> so redeploy the cash into something else. And so that's been, uh, that's been kind of what, what I've been doing. So yeah. yeah. And then, and then I've got a couple of different projects that on the go that are, um, that we're flipping as well. So uh, it's, it's confusing sometimes to think about the, how many properties you've got. Cause like there's, some that you're working on that are like, you know, six months long that are you're renovating. And then there's at the end of the project, we're actually just going to sell it. Right. So yeah, I'm not going to rent it but unless I can't sell it. Then I do have to rent it. It's <laughs> always a, that, that you also just have to have those uh, multiple exit strategies. So. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to get into as well. And I love that you are actively doing stuff um, on the side. It's not just yeah. buy and hold because buy and hold, as you know, it takes a long time, right. To recoup your money, unless you're making good cash yeah. flow, it's going to take yeah. a little bit of time. Right. So Talk to talk to me a little bit about you know how you were able to basically work it out that you can quit your first of all your job and uh, secondly you are now on an active stream of income through real estate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of started plotting that out. I would say in uh, 2017, 2018 is when I kind of got serious about you know creating cash flow, right? Um, right. Enough cash flow that would that would eventually replace my my income mm -hmm. uh, and become my primary source of income. So that's, uh, that's what I did. And I mean, it, uh, so I think, so yeah, here's the thing, right? So I, a lot of people talk about, I'm going to quit and I'm 28 and um, you know, it's, that's one thing to, <laughs> to do that when, when you've got like, you're earning an income and maybe you're single, you know, the family to support. Yeah. Uh, I, I quit so I'm, I'm a little bit older than, than you are. Uh, I quit when I was 47. So, um, and I started investing when I was 40. So I, I was a late bloomer. Right. Um, so, I, you know, and I was, uh, I was pretty senior in, uh, in the software companies that I worked in for a number of years and, you know, earning a really good salary and, you know, bonuses galore and whatever else. So yeah. it's hard. It's hard when you get to that point to to look for how am I going to replace that income yeah. with income I'm earning through investments. Mm -hmm. So you have to you have to kind of rewire your brain a little bit to not think of it that um, I, I need to replace dollar for dollar um, uh, in investing income. I need I need to replace it dollar for dollar because that would be, that's a lot harder. And I didn't do it that way. Right. What I did is I looked at okay, what is what am I taking home every month from my job? And, I, and when I say taking home, I mean, I'm the net of all of the, like I was socking away money into uh, every every investment opportunity that the company would allow us to do, right? right. So um, stock, putting money into stocks because the company matches, putting money into RSPs because the company matches, all that stuff. And so I, I ratcheted up all those kinds of um, deductions off of my pay mm -hmm. so that my what I was taking home every month was a heck of a lot less than I would have been earning otherwise to, to, to train myself to, I can, I'm going to live off of a smaller amount. Right. Right. Um, right. And I didn't, I didn't always do it that way, but I, I did that for the last number of years to really kind of, you know, get, get my finances just a little bit more tuned in, let's say. Okay. So I, so I started doing that. So getting really, really clear on what am I, what am I living off of from a net income perspective? At the same time I was looking at expenses. So, 
where can I reduce some expenses? Right. Right. So do I really need to have, you know, two car payments and whatever else? Right. So yeah. how can I start to cut back some of the big ticket expenses? Um, and it's, it, it comes down to getting really good clarity on what do you need? Like, what do you need to live on? Right. So I mean, um, if you don't have an extravagant lifestyle, um, you, you probably need less than you think. Yeah. So, so I looked at that. I looked at it that way. So what, what's my net income coming in that I actually need to live off of? And how do I replace that number? Right. I, I don't need to replace the, the monster salary plus bonus, plus all that kind of stuff that, the, that you're earning on paper. Uh-huh. Um, Cause that's a heck of a lot harder. Like when I get used to get my, um, my T4, right. Every, at the end of the year, I'm like, oh, holy crap, I made that much money because, you know, the company's always put like your salary, just all the little perks and bonuses that they, they tax you on shows up on your box, whatever it's called, your T4, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always like, how, how could I be making this much money? It just seems crazy to me, right? Right. But like if, if you're if you're just thinking about I got to solve for retur- replacing that income, I mean, that's going to take a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, and... I mean, and, and by the way, I'm I'm not advocating for people should go quit their jobs, um, <laughs> but you, when you get to a certain point in your life, like sometimes that might make sense, right? Like, yeah, so absolutely. I was yeah. I was kind of at the point where I was already spending more and more of my time, kind of on my side hustle investing, yeah. and it was consuming more of my time, more of my mind share, and so I I had to do some, I had to either you know commit to one or the other, right? I think is kind of where I was going with this. Yeah. yeah. So, so when it, when it became clear to me on, on what number I needed, um, to live off of, then I, I, I was always spreadsheeting this out, right? So every property I added, boom, I added just a little bit more cash flow, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, a little bit more cash flow, a little bit more cash flow. And then to, to supplement that, what I started doing too, is a bit of private lending. Mm-hmm. So, so, so once I kind of got within striking distance, like really close, like I'm now within like, I don't know, I was within like a thousand dollars of where I wanted to be for monthly cash flow. Right, right. Um, and I knew I could have, I could have, I could have lived off it just fine. Yeah. Um, but I wanted a little bit more. Then I, then I started doing a bit of extra uh, private lending. So I went out and I started lending some extra cash to other investors, right? right. And returning and getting a nice return every month through an interest payment. Which is just extra cash flow to me, yeah. Um, and you know, because as I was, as I refinanced a couple properties here and there, you know, I got a couple of payouts. I started lending out some of that money, right? Um, and it and it's got me to the point where suddenly there was enough cash coming in off of kind of these different streams where I realized I can do this, right? I'm just gonna. I, I had to wrap my head around it. Like I'm going to walk <laughs> away from this, you know, great job that I have, but, yeah. um, but, but it was the right thing for me to do. So I did it. <laughs> that's awesome. No, yes. that's, it's a challenging thing for sure. Especially when you, when you, when you are um, used to stability, right? I think the keyword is stability, right? It's kind of scary to say, you know yeah. what, because when, it, when you're an entrepreneur, if you don't work, you don't get paid. It's as simple as that, right? You don't get, you don't yeah. get vacation days off. You don't get sick days off, right? Like the perks, the benefits, the bonuses that you were talking None about, the stock options, right? All those are gone. So was that a collective decision you had to sit with your family and make? I mean, was that something that your wife supported? That she did she all she also part of, you know, the whole real estate journey? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the family was supportive. I mean, obviously we um I, I brought them in for for the ride. So they were aware yeah. of what, what the plan was and all that. Yeah. Um and 
yeah, so they were they were well on uh, like we were all on the same page. Put it that way. Now, I've I've told this story on other podcasts. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you haven't. But what happened was when I quit. So I I, I gave my notice um, at work in early March, right, and um, of 2020. So right before COVID became a thing, and gave my notice. And my last day was like March 20th. So. I leave. I'm like, all right, this is going to be, this is good. I'm excited, nervous, crazy. What have I done? Walked away <laughs> from this good job. I'm an idiot, whatever. All those things are going through your head. Right. And then literally two weeks after that, three weeks, April 1st is actually when it happened. April 1st, my wife, who I sh- just to back up, my wife was working full time, right. Okay. Um, um, earning a, a decent salary. Uh, she worked also working in a, in a software company right. and, um, so part of me leaving my job was there was a little bit of a safety blanket there, right? Knowing that, well, she's still earning some money and she's got benefits. So right. we can still, you know, whatever, get draw prescription drugs. We can still go to the dentist, whatever. <laughs> so literally two, two or three weeks after I leave my job, she gets a phone call on April 1st from her employer saying, unfortunately, we have, we have to downsize a little bit because COVID's really hit us hard oh, and, uh, we're going to have to let you go. So that was on April 1st and they gave her two weeks notice. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So that and like, and at this point it's like, huh, all right. I can't go back to my employer. Cause that's, that cord has been cut. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was just a little bit of a, oh, okay. Wake up call. Now we got to figure this out. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you were able to get some great golden nuggets out of it. The kindest thing that you can do is share this podcast across all social media to help as many people as possible. If you like this podcast or have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or YouTube. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode. Remember, financial freedom is just a few properties away.